have to fire up a hamster? <laughs> well, hello everyone! <laughs> now that we've fired up the hamster, we're ready to go. This is Classic Elder Scrolls, brought to you by the Quest Gaming Network and available for download on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and QuestGamingNetwork.com. Today is Sundas, Evening Star the 14th, and of course our show is sponsored by Tweaked Audio, who sells aw- awesome headphones, uh, quality headphones, and they'll ship them to you for free. And with our code off the record, you'll get them for 30% off at tweakedaudio.com and of course by Audible. Audibletrial.com slash network. It's a link you're going to need in order to download your free audiobook today. So why not give them a try? It's a free audiobook and, um, they're great for, for long drives and longer walks on the beach. I've heard. I don't really know. Uh, audibletrial.com slash network, And, of course, by... No, hold on. Give me this to me. You screwed up the last Amazon.com uh, ad, and uh, yeah, I, I will do this. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> this one knows that uh, you are on the Fat Nods Naughty List. How do you call him? Sinterklaas. Uh, a strange name for a nod who does not have claws, of course. However, uh, you shall get something for yourself. Uh, this one suggests a ball of yarn. Yes, well, uh, if you go to questgamingnetwork.com and use the Amazon link, uh, you will be able to get uh, this wonderful uh, ball of yarn I am suggesting, or perhaps a red light uh, magic stick or catnip or maybe some moon sugar, yes, or uh, questgamingnetwork.com. Our Amazon link is there. You get many things, yes? Brago. All right, thank, thank you very God, much. Thank Brago, that you took over. Oh, <sighs> finally got an ad done right. <laughs> I have to give him a permanent spot on the radio. He's purring now. He's happy. Okay. He's happy that happened. <laughs> I am a farwin, uh, and I am a nut. Uh, and also your, your, your host and fellow Tamrielic Traveler. And I am joined uh, by the one and only, the man who was beguiled by Liz into playing that other game with dragons, Mike. Hello, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Good. And yes, I was beguiled into Dragon Age. So it's a good game. Not quite Skyrim, but still good. Oh, well, I don't think you can really compare the two, but yeah, I agree. It's, it's, a, it's a great game. Um, and sitting right over there is the one and only the Sonarist himself, quite possibly the last of his kind. He who hates elves, Mark. Uh, sorry, how's it going, everyone? And uh, I, I know that the Thalmor aren't all, you know, not all Altmer are like the Thalmor. It doesn't matter. It's, it's the Altmer I'm not a fan of. Mm. Um... Aldmer or Altmer? Altmer. Oh, okay. Yeah, they're the new Argonians. Oh, are they? Yes. Okay, I don't know if I agree with this. <laughs> Mark, what's your character's name in ESO? I'm going to have to put a hit out on him. <laughs> I'm going to leave that on the down low for now. <laughs> um, what's up with Braville, guys? I, I'm in. I'm in Braville, and the last time I was here, I, I had not had the amount of experience that I currently have in, in Elder Scrolls, uh, in, in Oblivion, rather. I was going to say ESL, but in Oblivion. And I'm looking around, and I'm like, geez, this place really is just like a one-ho kind of a town. 
Good luck if you find a hoe. <laughs> it's like all burned out and dilapidated and falling apart. And <laughs> but they got the lucky lady statue in there. Yeah, so it is a one hoe town. Like, you know, the garden tool. Like, I saw a guy here who's... <laughs> I don't know what you guys... You guys axe, have dirty minds. One shovel. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. What's the deal with this place? It's... I don't know. Anyway, um, Mark, please let everyone, uh, please uh, tell us uh, where everyone can find us. Well, of course, they can watch us live at Sundays at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time at twitch.tv slash, or sorry, twitch.tv slash Network, as our chat room well knows. Uh, they can email us at questgamingnetwork at gmail.com, uh, which would be great because we absolutely love, you know, reading your, your emails and hearing your suggestions. And they can find us at questgamingnetwork.com. And don't forget to follow us at, at Elder Scrolls OTR at, on Twitter or at on Facebook.com slash Network, or on Google.com slash plus sign Network. Uh, very nice. Thanks, Mark. Um, for those of you on the stream wondering, this is this is Antonio, my uh, spell sword Breton, just made level four. Uh, Mike, what are we doing today? So other than looking at Antonio here, uh, we are going to be playing Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion, searching for the remains of the aliens. And, of course, we get a train that wants to come by my house just now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Every week. All right, all Sunday except for around 11. <laughs> and he's going to use the horn, the whistle as you know, loud as he can. Of course. Uh, yeah. well, so, Varwin, what happened to your uh, your personality with this guy? You know, it's, it's drained down to 30. Oh, um, what happened to his personality? He's probably uh, a jerk. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I probably have like you know rock butt or or whatever they they call it in this game. <laughs> uh, Mike, if everything is okay with you on your end, yeah, then you know, go you right know. on ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're having a discussion topic: the role of the aliens in the Elder Scrolls games. Uh, in the history of section, uh, lost elven races, the aliens, Heartland High Elves. Uh, in the Cenaris Archives, we were going to discuss the evolution of lore. And we have a fast question of the week, your tweets and emails. So, yeah, so that's what uh, we'll be covering today. And, Big show. Uh, we're going to be introduced to Varwin's new, uh, was it Spell Sword, you said? Yeah, Antonio. Now, have you streamed him at all? Yeah, yeah. He, uh, I think he appears on the last couple of episodes of Lunchtime in Tamriel. Okay. So oh, he's... he's the one that we kept saying you couldn't have a mullet on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he's got uh, he's got like the rogue ponytail going on underneath that that wild helmet of his. Okay, uh, it's uh, it is there. I'm, I'm sort of like I'm looking for the active effects here, and yeah, drain personality. I, I've got uh, green spore, so I wasn't I wasn't far off. It's either rock butt or green spore. <laughs> <laughs> Guess I have to toss down a um, potion of uh, cure some of that crap, whatever they call it here. Yeah. Well, isn't there, uh, you can go to the church and get that cured, can't you? I already downed the potion. Oh, yeah. Hey, wait, oh, okay. that actually didn't work. No, no, there we go. Okay. Um, now, we've got a big show for you. We're here in, in, in the uh, economically destitute town of either uh, Breville or Detroit. And uh, 
things are. Uh, <laughs> congratulations to Detroit, by the way. Here, they're they're uh, sort of coming out of that a little bit. They they released a news reel um, during the week saying that uh, yay, uh, Detroit's coming out. They're 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 doing a bit better. So good for them. But but also, what was in the news this week was Mike's birthday. Yes, I got old. You really did. Old. Your 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 fortieth birthday hit on on Morndas. Yeah. Happy birthday! Yeah, and uh, my wife treated to me to uh, a child's birthday. I think because uh, I got uh, Dragon Age Inquisition for my birthday. My daughter bought me a six pack of action figures for uh, Marvel Universe. I think she wanted uh, them so she had more men for her uh, Disney princesses to marry. Because you know you can't find male figures for little girls. So uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, we went out for dinner and had a nice time. So. Well, if you want to say, if you know, if you want socks and ties instead, you can always send that stuff to me, and I'll just send you some socks and ties. Oh no, well, Farwin's the one who needs socks. I need socks. Yeah, <laughs> I need socks. <laughs> I was sort of looking at my uh, my wardrobe yesterday. I was like, hmm. <laughs> running a bit low. <laughs> so um, I've got a really aggressive dryer monster. I don't know where my socks go. Anyway, um, you got two cats too. So I do. Where they go? Yeah, that's that's true. Um, Brago sitting right here. He's got a, a very uh, quiet and and uh, satisfied grin on his uh, cat face. So he's he's all excited about stealing my socks. Um, well, anyway, happy birthday to Mike. Uh, happy big four zero and and many 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 more. I thank you very much. All right, guys. Um, Gee whiz, folks! Let's get into it. Uh, the aliens—it's—it's—it's it's, um, it's one of those topics like last uh, last episode, the the Dunmer that that um, there's something about the aliens. You can't quite put your finger on it, um, but it's it's uh, it always captivates. You're running around Cyrodiil, or maybe Elder Scrolls Online. Or maybe in, in, in Daggerfall and in Skyrim, you pick up a book, and, and this one happens to be about the aliens, and you just stop. And you say, huh. Who the hell are they? <laughs> now I'm interested. Exactly. Um, but, but who are they, and what are they, and what is their history? And our, our aim today is to kind of explain a little bit of that to you today, and, and to sort of maybe call out some, some of the things that we haven't quite admitted to ourselves about the aliens, and, and maybe um, show some things that maybe we couldn't have have put into words um but first and foremost or i should say first maybe not necessarily foremost is is um the role of the aliens in in elder scrolls games what role do do the aliens play in in elder scrolls games uh either personally or or generally so let's let's start generally uh gentlemen generally speaking what what role do they actually play in the series and we'll we'll start with mark well I'd say that one of the things that they do is really sort of of give this ancient um, uh, feel to Cyrodiil. They really sort of flesh it out that Cyrodiil really has been the seat of empires since as far back as anyone can remember. It, it sort of makes it more than just the province that everyone goes to, you know, that is sort of in the middle of things and just people want to go to because it's easier to get everywhere, as it kind of wasn't back in Arena and Daggerfall. Which, I'll get back in, I'll get into that more in depth later on. But, you know, like, it it gives more... Like, okay, with the 
with the Red Guards, we know all about uh, Yakuda. I mean, we could learn more about Yakuda, the the land they came from, the the continent that was destroyed before they came over to Hammerfell. We know a bit about the Bretons coming from, you know, the Bretons sort of being the almost the half-elves of the series. Uh, we know where the Nords came from. And we also know where all the other races came from. But they, they sort of helped flesh out Cyrodiil into a much more interesting setting that explained the humans explained, being there, explained where the, you know, the white gold tower and all these wonderful, mysterious ruins all over the place. So I think, think that they, they play this wonderful role of just making things so much more interesting than they, than they could have been. Imagine a Cyrodiil without Iliad ruins. Oh, you couldn't imagine it without yeah. the ruins. I no. mean, it's like imagining Skyrim without the you know the Dormer ruins, right? You know, the, yeah, there's Morrowind. Yeah, you know, the you know especially I think they do a really good job with the Eliads, <clears throat> comparing you know when you contrast them to the Dwemer, that the Dwemer were much more of a steampunk type of um, race. That um, these guys are much more mystical in nature. Uh, the high arches, the white marble, uh, the strange lights that are produced. There's no steam or mechanical aspects to them. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely gives a much more you know, high sorcery type of feel to this, this lost race. Yeah, I, and I, I sort of want to... Um, I, guess, I guess now that you touched on, on the Dwemer as well, um, I think one of the things that, that may be we we choose not to admit to ourselves um be, be, is is that the aliens and the dwimmer functionally functionally speaking all right putting aside the the lore and and the the aesthetics and and maybe how we connect to to the race which is utterly different functionally they're exactly the same as the dwimmer they serve the exact same purpose which yes. which mm-hmm. um Mark was was calling out the Aliads and the Dwemer do one thing very 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 well for us as as gamers coming into the world and that is to establish this world is fantastically old and and look here's a remnant of of a lost civilization and um, if you thought you knew about lost civilizations when you look at history books you know regarding the the uh, the Greeks the Roman Empire uh, ancient, ancient, ancient Egypt, um, and and myths about about Atlantis. Well, well, hold on tight because when you take a look at this beautiful Iliad ruin coming up from the from the the hillside, you got something that's going to look a hell of a lot older than anything you've ever heard of before in real life. And, and that, I think you know they've done some really nice things throughout the games where not all of them are large, extensive ruins or ones that you can even enter. That uh, they just give you the glimpse of like, hey, there's something here that could be dug out. I mean, what was the big news this past month with uh, um, the English finding the remains of one of the former kings? Was it Henry the Third or something or Eighth or whatever in the parking lot? You know, he was very oh, uh, Richard. Richard, okay, uh, yeah, that yeah. Was King Richard. Yeah, you know, it's that kind of concept of like, you know, the current civilization is built upon the foundation of the old, and you know. Archaeology is now coming to light, you know, for our own culture. But, yeah, I mean, throughout the world, I mean, you know, in Italy, I remember going to Italy in the early 90s 
and they were just finding like this whole new Circus Maximus type of ruin in downtown Rome that uh, they were going to put in some type of new street system and all of a sudden the project had to come to a screeching halt because of the archaeology it's like that wow. really gives you an idea of like what's going on yeah. in here by having these type of ruins that you have these extremely sophisticated highly technological or magical societies that once ruled the area and now they're gone we're uh, we're in front of Bonn right here um, in in uh, in oblivion and I I love the way that this happens you you you're roaming the ra- the, the land and um, bam you know there's there's just this this alien ruin now now Bonn here uh, seems to be coming out of this this hilltop but a good portion of it is also submerged into into this lake that's 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 in front of it and um, not far off from from Breville. Now, when you look at Breville, obviously to us, Breville is a is a you know old medieval type of structure. Um, but when you look at it compared to the Aelid ruin, it sort of looks like what we have in in our modern era in Western Europe, which is a mix of the modern and the ancient in in the countryside, and. Uh, it's it's um it's imagination inspiring it's fantastically beautiful and all and and it connects you you're connected you, yeah. you i mean look at look at what we got going on here this game is very old well not very old but it's it's aging it's it but it's still beautiful and it's still able to with the music and the scenery uh connect your emotions to what you're seeing and what you're doing in the game and and uh it's it's really when you, whether you're talking about the aliens or you're talking about the dunmer it's it's something real special yeah. One thing I like about the setting is that um, it seems that the Dwemer and the Aeliads act to give this, you know, fallen empires, fallen civilizations, um, you know, this these grand ruins for you to explore. But at the same time, unlike a lot of other fantasy settings where these fallen, these fallen empires, like here, these fallen empires have achieved stuff that people haven't achieved yet. Uh, you know, they don't know how it's done. They, they've they never been able to really replicate this stuff since. But at the same time, unlike, say, in Conan, where these things are the height of, you know, these ruins are the height of what had been, and now everyone lives in squalor around it. You know, in 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 the Elder Scrolls, instead, you have these, these civil, you know, all the provinces are great civilizations. They're prosperous. They're doing well. And at the same time, you know, they're not... They're not completely overshadowed by these ruins. You don't feel like... You don't look at these ruins and feel like, oh, it's all downhill ever since this. You know, it, it gives... it, And that, I feel, gives a unique flavor to uh. Uh, to the Elder Scrolls that way. That there was this ancient height, but it's not like th- we'll never see that again. Uh, it's very interesting. And I think... Go ahead. No, no, no. I, that's all I had. It was just... I, I think uh. that was a very interesting comment. Uh, what do you got, Mike? So the one thing that I think that ESO kind of screwed up on was Auradon. Because when you look at these ruins from, you know, both the Twemer and the Aeliads, uh, and we'll get through some of this in the, the reading further on down, that they all come from, like, a, a stock culture of elven uh, races. And so these are the ones that left uh, the Somerset Isles, Old Elnafe, to populate... Uh, 
the rest of Tamriel. And look what they did in those intervening years. And now it's been hundreds or thousands of years since they've been gone. And we see these beautiful ruins. Imagine, you know, what the population on the Somersets has been able to do in that amount, same amount of time. And I really felt like all our uh, Auradon really was not magical enough, you know, or special enough to have this advanced society that's been living there, you know, and they're not much better than some of the human races in other provinces in terms of their architecture and art. Mm-hmm. You, know, you look at these beautiful Elliot ruins, white marble with the magic. You know, there's a couple of places, uh, if you're in Cyrodiil PVPing, where you've got those large, giant blue crystals that are floating uh, around the perimeter of the castle. That kind of stuff is what I was really expecting to see a lot more of in uh, Aradon. And if they ever open up the main island, it had better be like, oh my god, I've traveled to a completely different place. You know, because yeah. you know these elves have been there you know, for thousands of years, you know, generation after generation, passing down amazing you know, science and art and magic, it better reflect in the way that they live. Mm-hmm. Now, at the same time, um, well, Ordon is sort of like their point of contact with the rest of Tamriel, so I can see sort of why they might not want to let everything they've done there where people might, where it might be easier for the other races to sort of steal things. But at the same time, the other elven races never really have reached the same level of of magical prowess or power that it seems that the aliens did. Yeah. I mean, because even, even Altmer mages in the fourth, you know, third and fourth era, they still don't understand how a lot of things like the aliens, well, you yeah. know, the Iliad wells worked or the Varla stones or the Welkin stones. So, you know, like even though that they're basically of the same age that the aliens were, for some reason, they never really progressed the same way. They never, even with oh. all their time, they haven't gotten to that point. I think uh, now one of the I think one of the big things is is the way that the aliens and and Mike's gonna you know call this out in a little bit um, is that the aliens were actually able to uh, harness magicka from the stars, which a yep. lot theor- now I've got it up here on the stream and, and maybe we'll call it out a little bit later on as well. These alien wells tend to be a bit of a mystery still to modern day um, people of Tamriel. And they're not too sure what the aliens were doing with these wells and what purpose these wells serve. But all they know is that when you use them, somehow it refills Magicka. And one of the theories is that they were harnessing Magicka from the stars, and that's what these wells do. Um, so As you were saying that the first thing that popped into my mind is, careful, of Arwen, it's a leaking radioactive nuclear power plant that's buried there. Don't! <laughs> <laughs> Thousands of years, the radiation still hasn't dissipated. <laughs> um, and and maybe 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 Mark, that's that's this is part of the reason why they were able to uh, jump ahead, even even to modern day um, races, was because they had this this ability to just sort of harness magicka in in so many different ways. I mean, they and, and they were buddy buddy with with every kind of. Um, um, with every kind of etida, uh, mm-hmm. the the uh, Adra and Daedra alike, they didn't they didn't differentiate between who was evil and who was good. They sort of revered yep. all of them. 
Yeah. Um, so so anyway, I, I digress. Um, I'm going to kick it over to Mike because now we're starting to get into the history of these guys. And maybe that's where we should be. And uh, as he presents the history of the Aliens, I will be showing you and Twill uh, a uh, fantastically fun Aliad ruin. So, so Mike, please. All right. So the Lost Elven Race is the Aliad Heartland High Elves. Uh, so the ruins are all that we really have left. Um, we've seen you know the outsides of them, and of Arwen's going to head in in a little while here. Uh, so from uh, glories and laments among the Aliad ruins. Having arrived at Gotsville Font Priory, halfway on the golden road between Skingard and the Imperial City, I resolved to make a side trip to view the magnificent ruins of Setatar, or Shadow of the Fatherwoods, in the ancient Aeliad tongue. After many hours of difficult travel through tangled Hawthorne, Hells, and Limberlaws, I suddenly I was suddenly struck dumb by the aspect of five pure white columns rising from a jade-green mound of vines to perfect V-shaped arches and graceful capitals towering above the verdant forest growth. This spectacle caused me to meditate on the lost glories of the past and the melancholy fate of the high civilizations now poking like splintered shards of bone from the green-grown tumulus of time-swept obscurity. And so this is just exactly what we were really talking about. I mean, you know, you have these beautiful white columns, you know, the magic, you know, in this green area, and that's pretty much all that we have left of the Aliads. And, uh, you know, when you compare it to, you know, places like, you know, Skingrad and Breville, where, you know, humans have occupied and are building of their own accord, I mean, you know, when, you know, when we walked through Breville earlier, it looked like a shanty town. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, now, the Imperial City is based off of the White Gold Tower, which was built by the Elliots, and much of that, you know, the architecture is still the Elliot architecture. So, all they've done is just improved on what was already there. Uh, you know, so you can't really say, oh, you know, it, you know, the Imperials did that. Yeah. yeah and uh, one of the interesting things about the White Gold Tower is it, it seems to that the Aliads made it, and supposedly based it on the Adamantine Tower found in um, High Rock. And the interesting thing is, it, it's even though it was built by the Aliads and not by uh, the Divines or um, the Adra, which supposedly the Adamantine Tower was, uh, it still seems to have some sort of great importance to uh, to Nern itself. Um, in the in the book series. Um, so yeah, in the, in the two books for the Elder Scrolls, uh, the Infernal City and uh, Lord of Souls, the tower is actually an extremely important part of you know the main villain's master plan, as it were, and it becomes sort of a, a race at one point to get to the tower. And if anyone wants to know exactly what I'm talking about, you can go to audio uh, Audible Books and you can find them there. But uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> they, even uh, you know. I'm sorry, I'm, I completely lost where I was going with this. <laughs> train derailed. <laughs> yeah, train derailed. We might have that a couple of times during the episode, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> now, um, Monster Hunter Jack in the uh, chat room brings up a really interesting point. Uh, one thing I don't uh, like is how the word Elliot doesn't end in mer, like every other Elvish yeah. race. Yes. Uh, and it is very strange that, uh, you know... 
that it doesn't. That's actually something I've always wondered about too. Uh, you know, it could it could indicate now, even though they are elves, it could indicate um, that they are a completely different type. Jeez, really, <laughs> a completely different type of of uh, of elf than than the rest of the elves. You know, yeah. um, they the aliens have have been very keen to sort of. Especially in Elder Scrolls Online, when you see them, there are there are moments when you do travel back in time, um, and and you meet up with them. They are very keen to sort of get out there that they are better than everyone else that exists in the world, and and not like that. You know, the Altmer don't do that themselves. Um, you, you get a different sense of that from the aliens, like they are in fact the the uh, the racial father of all the elves. Mm-hmm. Or a completely separate, you know, species altogether. Exactly, exactly. And it might have something to do with, you know, that that uh, close tie that they do have with with uh, uh races with the uh, Adra and, and Daedra. Yeah. So now, you know, before we go for our next episode of Arwen, I suggest uh, that you redo the uh, skeleton key. Uh, uh, quest line for this guy. Well, yeah, <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah, I, think we're, I think we're at that point. <laughs> well, you're level four, breaking all the lockpicks, you know. And we're gonna do what? Probably four episodes in Oblivion. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll uh, uh, make sure that happens. <laughs> um, I think you got to get to level ten for that. So. Oh, all right. I, so, I have my work cut out for me. Hey, look at that. Uh, I have no lockpicks. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea how the hell I'm going to even get out of here. It looked like that was the only way to get out was that door. <laughs> Might oh, be in some Lord. trouble. So, who were they? The Aliens or Heartland High Elves ruled Cyrodiil uh, in the long ages of myth before the beginning of recorded history. One of the earliest recorded dates, in fact, is the fall of the White Gold Tower in the first era, 243, which is commonly assumed to mark the end of the Aliens. Although the Aliens' rule over all of Cyrodiil was indeed broken in first era, 243, this was one of the most obvious stages near the end of a long decline. The first two centuries of the first era saw increasing strife between the Aliad lords of Cyrodiil. And this is from the last kings of the Aliens. Uh, and I think it's funny because you can tell that it's probably been translated into Tamrielic, you know, common speech because they keep referring to it as Cyrodiil. And, you know, it's not really referred to as Cyrodiil until after Roman Cyrodiil takes the throne. And that would be even after Alessia. So it's kind of an interesting thing here, you know, when you look at it. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's actually a really good point. I hadn't uh, I hadn't considered that before. Yeah, me either. To be honest, that's yeah. My, you make a good point there, uh, Mike. <laughs> yeah. So you have to wonder how many of the other things are you know mistranslations or something, and what they actually called the Heartlands, depending on when they ruled. Uh, so then, if we go, you know, we they're talking about the strife between the Elliot lords. Now, why is there this strife that is you know such a problem uh so if we go to daedra worship the Eliads, uh the old mary who first began to began organized worship of adra 
We're also the first to venerate the Daedra Lords. This probably began on a small scale among the aliens, who's those elves who left the Somerset Isles to create splinter cultures in central and southwest Tamriel, in some cases specifically to evade the stricter Almeri regulation, which forbid, among many other things, the worship of Daedra. Huh. Now that's now that's an interesting thought. So so Aliads and Altmer lived together at one point in in history. Yeah, and I, when we look at it though, I mean the Chimer were the same way that you know, and the the evil Orsimer, uh scum suckers that they are. You know, they <laughs> all were elves of some nature that lived on the Somerset Isles and left the Somerset Isles for one reason or another. Yeah. The the Altmer are really just the, the descendants of the Aldmeri, the sort of the progenitor elves, as it were, who just didn't leave the Somerset Isles. Yeah. You know, that's sort of where they come from. And it, honestly, that's part of where a lot of their um, their superiority complex comes from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Bosmer left uh, the area, the Chimer left, and then eventually became the Dwemer, or the Dunmer. Uh, the Dwemer left very early on. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of them were there and just left. And you know, it's the and it's strange because they say the worship of the Daedra caused them to leave, uh, according to this. But the Daedra worshipping uh, uh, Aliads were still a minority among the Aliads. Uh, so as Aedra culture flourished, drawing ever further from Eleanor... In the last millennium of the Murthic era, Daedric worship took hold and spread among the Heartland High Elves. The Aedra are still widely revered, and probably a majority of the Aeliads continued to pay them homage, but cults devoted to the various Daedric princes sprang up across Cyrodiil, tolerated and then celebrated. Unlike the Chimer, the Aeliads made no distinction between the good and bad Daedra. And so, you know, that's really interesting that, uh, you know, they really still worshipped the Aedra, uh, even after they settled up and, you know, had their empire growing. And it was really the influence of these Daedric cults that really caused the problem. Um, most of the things point to, you know, the evil that we see from the Eliads, the stuff that caused the slave revolt, uh, really has to do with those leaders that were Daedra worshippers within the cult. And that's actually an interesting thing to think about is that, um, like, the Dunmer themselves uh, are no well known for their sla uh, their practices with slavery, and they started out worshipping the Daedra. Meanwhile, the Altmer, you don't really hear much about them having slaves. Same with the Bosmer. So yep. it makes you wonder if it really is the, you know, uh, something about the Daedra that really does sort of encourage this sort of decadence and... Uh, um, desire for conquest. I mean, I'm sure that it ha depends a lot on what Daedra that you're actually spending most of your time venerating. Like, Molag Ball is clearly going to have a much different effect on your culture than worshipping, say, Meridia. Yeah, he's yeah. not going to be angry with you if you've uh, enslaved the Argonians like, <laughs> like yeah. the, uh, the, the mm -hmm. Chimer and Dunmer have, have, have done. Yeah, some of the other ones there, because they talk about, you know, like flesh sculptures and stuff like that as part of the Adra or the Eliads. Um, and it's like, you know, yeah, definitely I, nobody that's good is going to be, you know, promoting chopping people up to, you know, make sculptures. I don't, I don't mean to interrupt 
Mike, but I, I know you wanted me to sort of call out um, some of these some of these magical things that uh, they've the uh, they've got here. Now, you know, here's a Varla stone. We've got a Varla stone up on on the uh, the stream right now. Yeah, so I'll skip down to that, and we can come back up to our other discussion here. Okay. Um, so in their magic, this is one of the big things that has been left behind. Uh, the ancient aliens recognized there are not four elements of modern natural philosophy, earth, water, air, and fire, but the four elements of high elven religion, earth, water, air, and light. The aliens considered fire to be a weak and corrupt form of light, which alien philosophers identified with primary magical principles. Huh. Thus, their ancient subterranean temples and sanctuaries are lit by, were lit by lamps, globes, and pools of fountains of purest magic. Really? So that's that's the reason why you you find uh, all of the the different types of of stones in here, um, because they just disliked fire as a light yeah. source. <laughs> Typical but, elf. Fire's not good enough for them. <laughs> <laughs> the, that's what Nords do. Let them strike their rocks and make fire on sticks. We'll put light in the stones. <laughs> now, the ancient aliens believe most sublime form of light was pure starlight. Now, if we remember, you know, uh, when Mundus was created, you had the Atata, uh Magnus, and the Magnagiri that uh, left Mundus before its completion, and all the other Adra were locked into Mundus. Uh, and when they left, uh, Magnus produced the hole in the sky that is the sun, and the lesser uh, followers produced the holes that are the stars. Uh, and that, uh, yeah, the stars are linked to the plane of Ethereus, the source of all magical power. And therefore, light from all the stars is the most potent and exalted of all the magical powers. So from the book Magic uh, from the Sky. From time to time, fragments of Ethereus fall from the heavens. People know these fragments as shooting stars. And from time to time, such ethereal fragments are found on Nern. Most common varieties are known as meteoric iron. This metal is prized by armorers and enchanters, and its properties in the forging of enchanted weapons and armor. The meteoric iron is also the primary component of Eliad Wells, ancient artifacts found throughout Cyrodiil. Another rare form of arterial fragments is called meteoric glass. It is from such fragments that other rare Aeliad enchanted artifacts are crafted, namely the Welkin stones and the Varla stones. So those stones that you picked up off the pedestal there, the glowing blue stones. That's meteoric armor? Um, meteoric um, glass. Glass. Okay, so it's not like they're you know digging around in here and they're and, and they're like, hey guys, look what I found! Oh, it's a glowy little thing. It's cool. Pick it up and put it inside this porch. Like they, it's a, it's a type of glass, and they infused it with the power of magicka. So they they basically made their own um, light bulbs. Yeah, pretty basically, much. Yeah. Actually, that's um, in ESO. There's that whole song, Red Diamond. Which sort of it, it describes sort of the legendary origin of uh, the Amulet of Kings, and basically, you know, it, it goes on to say that it was Lorcan blood. It was blood from Lorcan's heart that had fallen into an alien well, and sort of magic had caused it to condense. And then the the wild elves came, and they sort of they they shaped the gem. Now these stupid elves, they gotta stop t you know fooling around with Lorcan's heart. Yeah, what is it with the elves and Lorcan's heart? I don't know. Isn't that what like made Amalexia crazy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stop 
tool around with it. <laughs> Leave the heart alone. Jeez. Ultimate yeah, for, power, Kaloops, ultimately. <laughs> you know, for people who blame the Lorcan for, like, trapping them on, you know, as mortal spirits, uh, they sure love playing with his heart. They, they certainly do. They certainly do. Yeah, Lord, well, yeah. Lord knows I, I, I really don't blame them. I'm like, you know, they got trapped here. They believe that they're higher power beings that, you know, have taken physical form. You know, and that they're cursed to live in this physical form. Why not try and figure out how to break your physical form? If that's what you believe in, and especially if you have this powerful object that's supposedly part of the guy that trapped you here in the first place. Now, now here's a thing: didn't the supposedly the the prevailing theory around the disappearance of the Dwemer have something to do with Lorcan's heart as well? Yes, they were trying to use it to power the Numidium, um, the brass golem god that they were making. Right, right. Well, that was the intention, whether or not. Um, they were trying to activate it or they were trying to sort of ascend to godhood themselves. It's sort of unclear. Either way, they shouldn't have touched it. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's because yeah, they... it's, it's still beating and it's like, oh, I, I can't resist. I gotta poke it. Kind of gross. <laughs> kind of gross. Stick, poke, 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 poke. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know about you guys. My, my, first, my first inclination, if I ever come across a... a, a a removed heart and it's still beating. I'm not. I'm not going to poke it. I'm just going to call a priest. <laughs> so, <laughs> that might be just me, though. <laughs> you grew up as a kid watching the Exorcist movies. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well. Um, okay, so so I guess I guess back back on to to the history and and gee, I love I love showing these Welkin stones now that I know that it's it's um the the magic uh, from the sky. Right. Right. Well, now, you said earlier, what kind of iron is it again? So there's uh, meteoric iron right. that uh, is used in glass. making um, magical art items such as armor and weapons. And then the Welkin stones are the glass, the meteoric glass, that uh, have been shaped and refined and infused uh, to produce more magic. So I think you're able to charge weapons with them. Yeah. And... Uh, consume them yourself i can't remember if you can consume them or not yeah you, i just hoarded them because it was like oh they look cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, you can do that actually um the the varla stones help you charge your um your your uh your, your weapons and the welkin stones uh help you regain magicka instantly yeah just awesome stuff all right. Um, so, so please. So now we're going to start talking about their collapse. Um, as Pluviel of Dusk had noted in her magisterial collapse of the Elliots. So, some character talking about it, the collapse of the Elliots in a book. Uh, blame for the White Gold catastrophe of First Era 243 can be attributed to a half dozen disastrous factors, of which the bloody insurrection by the indentured human laborers may not be the most important. Flubius emphasizes, quite rightly in my belief, that Narfissal schism in the late Merithic era, which pitted the more conservative Adria-worshipping Aeliad clans against those decadent yet undeniably vigorous clans that had adopted Daedra worship. This conflict reached its climax in First Era 198, at the scouring of Wendelbeck, when King Guilford of Atara, uh, led a combined force of Daedraphile worshippers against the traditionalist barbarists of Eliadon. Uh, 
So it's very funny to read, I guess. Many people feel that the collapse of the alien culture really goes along the story of, you know, the imper- the rise of the imperial um, race. You know, the Saint Alessia, her contract with um, uh, Akatosh, the generation of uh, the Red Diamond. If you're looking at it from the point of view of the elves that are doing the historical research, it was a civil war that uh, preceded that last event that uh, led to the the destruction of the aliens. It's uh, uh, my opinion after after doing some you know cursory research on this last night. I could understand why the elves would say that. You know, because they don't want to believe that they're the, the the dirty Nords that they enslaved were able to, to toss them out. So they're going to call out that the main reason why they collapsed was because of the infighting. Yep. In my opinion, I think it was both. There's there's nothing that's because that's that's what history teaches us. You know, when you've got when you've got the kind of infighting that that happens to to um, decadent societies you're you're in a weakened state and certainly this is what we saw from from skyrim not that they were a decadent society but you saw it in skyrim yeah the infighting you know between the imperials and the and the uh um the milk drinkers right uh yeah has really led an opportunity for the thalmor to come in and do whatever the hell they wanted right and now here we are um where where yeah maybe they were maybe the Thalbor were taking a page out of history realizing that the the Nords were were infighting and yep. uh, knowing their own history of what happened during infighting you've had the Nords uh, come in with with Alessia from the north and and sort of take back their uh, their dignity because they were slaves so yeah. you've got you've got mm-hmm. infighting and you've got a slave revolt and between one or the other, maybe one being more important than another and vice versa during the year, Alessia was able to, from the north, sweep in and just take over all of Cyrodiil away from the aliens, with the help of aliens, by the way. Yeah, and yeah, yeah that's one of the things that we're, we're just about to touch on here, is the, um, you know, what happened to the aliens? I mean, unlike with the Dwemer where uh, it was an instantaneous, you know, bodies on the battlefield, all of a sudden empty suits of armor. Uh, the Aliens actually lived for quite a long time after the uh, fall of the White Gold Tower. And uh, so, you know, it, it, it's a bit of both really going on that, uh, you know, where did they go? So from the last King of the Aliens again, in any event, excavation at a number of sites of Aliens of Elliot sites show continued occupation, and even expansion during the so-called late Iliad period, first era 243, which is just after the Tower Fall, to the year 498. Uh, at first, many Iliad lords continued to rule as vassals of the new human regime. In some cases, Iliad supporters of Alessia were even rewarded with new lands taken from slain enemies. So really, you know, you've got the Daedra worshipping ones, which really were the decadent ones, the ones that had, you know, destroyed people for, you know, flesh sculpture. And uh, you had the Adra worshipping ones, which were the ones that supported Alessia. And, uh, you know, they were rewarded for their support. And, uh, you know, I didn't really bring this one up, but when you look at the, the, the human path, pan, 
pantheon of uh, Adra, what do we see? The we human. see mm-hmm. at time of ESO, we have the eight, right? And the eight are composed of Akatosh, the dragon god. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Mara. We have Debella. We have... Who else do we have? Um, Akatosh, Mara, Debella. Um, Kind. Sendar. Uh, Zenithar. Zenithar. Uh, Julianos. Um, Yep. I think there's one more. But all of them are reincarnations of Adra from the Elven pantheon. Uh, Many of them maintaining even the same, like, spelling of the name. Uh, And it's not until the third era that we add Talos, uh, which, you know, we've talked about Talos and possibly being a reincarnation of Lorcan or, um, you know, the divine uh, creation of the godhood of a man. But, you know, it really, you know, the Aliens were incorporated back into Alicia's regime uh, after, you know, the fall of the White Gold Tower. Yeah, they weren't they weren't necessarily just just pushed out and and killed and then and then hey no more aliens they were like you're saying they were reincorporated into um, assimilated they were reassimilated yes. into the um, prevailing government yeah and that was actually partly like she set up the religion the pantheon the way she did to sort of please both. Um, the aliens that uh, still were part of their society, the uh, the former slaves, and then the Nords who, uh, from the North who'd come to help them to sort of be, create a pantheon that was acceptable to all of them. That you know the slaves didn't have to abandon the Elven gods that they they still liked, but the Nords could accept those gods right. as yep. not being purely Elvish. And but yet supposedly that actually ended up leading to the very first dragon break when um, the Elysian Order tried to remove everything Elvish from Akatosh. Yeah. Gee, what does that sound like in our own personal history? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> if um, if you're if you're Catholic, you uh, you definitely know about about the Council of Nicaea, where. Um, I forgot. Oh boy, I forgot who it was. I forgot the name. But um, that's where they decided. Constantine. Constantine. Yes. Yeah. He... That's where our modern Bible has been. It was established. Modern what? Our modern Bible was established. Yes. Yeah. You know, Constantine knew that you had a a um, declining set of of pantheons where where the the uh the roman or greek uh the the roman gods were sort of in a state of uh the belief of roman gods were sort of in a state of decline and this this then very young um christian cult was was on the rise and certainly was no longer a cult at that point it wasn't a small group of people who had a set belief system that's what a cult is um, it was really becoming a well-established religion that was taking over the the, uh, the 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 Roman territories, and Constantine ruled at a time where it was like that. So, toward the end of his of his uh, his reign and his life, he sort of just said, 
we're going to have to, in order to keep peace, because there was riots going on, religious riots at the time, he said, in order to keep the peace, we're going to have to find a way to adopt all of this and make sure that it becomes a, a Roman thing. So let's have a council. Let's sit down. Let's look at what Christians believe. Let's look at what we believe. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the Council of Nicaea, you've got the Bible that we primarily still use today. And at the same time, like, Jesus was born on December 25th. Like, that <laughs> yeah. That all came out of that. And, and this is, uh, you know, very similar to what we're saying about Alessia and how when she took over, um, she, she established this 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 melding of 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 uh alien belief systems and and um and Natic belief systems right exactly Natic mm -hmm. belief systems now it's been very cool having eso out um because it really has fleshed out a lot of like stuff that um we really you know for a long time i've been asking questions on most of the books that I've covered here, so The Last King of the Aliens, Magic from the Sky, uh, Glories and Laments, um, have all come from throughout the games. And uh, Mark's going to cover a book about the Wild Elves. Uh, but there's a book that came out in uh, ESO called Aliens Survival in Valenwood that really has given thought to um, what happened to the Aliens after the revolt in uh, Cyrodiil. And so a couple of paragraphs from that we'll talk about here. Um, most measures, Elliot's civilization has been in decline for several generations by the time the white gold tower fell to the savagery of the needs. Standing amid the ruins of the great elven culture, the victors concocted a justification for the blood on their hands by painting the, defe the defeated clans as vicious daedrophiles who reveled in torture and cruelty. An exception was made for those clans, mainly Adric and Heretic, adheritance who had thrown in their lot with the hordes of the slave queen. So, once again, you know, let's pin it on the Daedra. Ah. <laughs> Thus began the Eliad Diasporia, in which the Heartland Elves sought to find new homes elsewhere in Tamriel, to decidedly mix success. Those who fled north to the lands once held by the Falmer were slaughtered by Nords, led by the infamous Vagnar the Butcher. So, can't go north to Skyrim. Uh, the Barabesics, by the time, were established in Argonia and refused admittance to their former prosecutors, the Antarctics. And most of that clan died in an ill-fated expedition into the lands of the Catmen. So, going to Argonia or to elsewhere, not a good idea. Several clans set out on the long march through Hammerfell to the Iliac Bay, and some actually made it. There they were joined and were absorbed by the long-established Dereni of Balfera. So, we've talked about the, you know, the half-elven nature of the, the Bretons before. And so this could be one of the areas where the genes of the uh, Eliads uh, resides, is in the Breton... Uh, hegemony. So you're saying that that uh, aliens um, and their assimilation may have have uh, created the affinity for magicka and its use among the Bretons. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's actually what's um, all but stated in one of the books about how uh, when the Nords came across the first Bretons, they mistook them for elves because they they looked much more elvish than they did human. Um, I'm sure we can get into a lot more detail on that whenever we get around to actually you know focusing on the Bretons. But yeah, it's it's pretty much uh, established that it's elven blood that causes the Breton affinity for magic. And, and it could be the Eliads who were the elves that well, I gave can't really, that. Yeah, I can't really see any other elven culture that could have been, yeah. been the one that uh, that ruled them. Huh. And the most successful, uh, and they were more than a few, were the clans that fled southwest beneath the canopy of Valenwood. Fortunately, their new hosts, the Bosmer, were remarkably generous and welcoming the Eliads into their realm. Uh, so long as idea. the Heartland Elves agreed to the aspects of the Green Pact. So the, the Bosmer were already there during the, the fall of the Aliens. Yeah. Okay. Some might might think that. Now, if you know the Aliens scattered and went into the wilds, you might begin to think that maybe they became the Bosmer. Yeah, you, would, you could possibly think that, but they definitely were two separate cultures. Um, when you yeah. play ESO, you can see Aliens-style ruins. Uh, throughout Bosmeri territories. Oh yeah. Um, you know now, did they interbreed, kind of like uh, modern Homo sapiens and uh, Homo neanderthalis, uh, to you know breed away the fact that you know we don't have two separate species anymore, uh, or did they just get replaced? You know, those are the the kind of concepts that we have to deal with with the Bosmers and the Eliots. You know, did they you know interbreed with them and eventually? the current modern Bosmers have some alien blood in them or, you know, did the Bosmers eat them and incorporate them that way? Oh, no, I, I, I think there was, I think they were, they, I don't think they were eaten. I think they were, <laughs> they were incorporated. I mean, you, you see that in, in Elder Scrolls Online, you see the Bosmer and you, there's a couple instances where you run into Bosmer and um, Altmer um, couples. You know, yep. she, she's a Bosmer, he's an Altmer, they're very much in love, here's a quest because, you know, someone did something or they need help and, and you run out there. You see that in, was that uh, Grotwood? Yeah. Yeah, a couple of times. So, I mean, yeah. the Bosmer are very much used to mixing with, with other elven cultures. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, like, sorry, go ahead. The, the Green Pack itself and the Meat Mandate has made them one of the more um, amiable uh, elven races. Cause because they like don't want to go to war, they don't want to really eat you. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot at stake if you know they go to war. Mm, steak. So, <laughs> <laughs> at stake, not a lot of steak. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm done being a jerk. So, <laughs> no, that's fine. That's exactly you know the hopes. I was hoping to get a lot of uh, talk about this with Bosmer and the the Dereni. So that's you know those are the books. Um, we have to thank the Imperial Library because they do an awesome job cataloging all of the books from all of the games. I and, don't think that. You know, the unofficial Elder Scrolls pages, which gives you know a lot of information to where to start your search when it comes to doing this kind of research. Oh yeah. And, uh, I will post later, either this weekend or early next week, all of the uh, links to the books, so anybody who wants to read the books uh, can check out our Twitter feed and find them there. Um, just as a, um, just as a, I guess like a, like a call out to, to them. Um, if you're, if you're a frequent goer to 
the unofficial Elder Scrolls pages. Okay, if you're a frequent uh, frequent goer there. Okay, they they are actually they do have a guild in Elder Scrolls Online, and uh, they are looking to to recruit as well. Um, that's not to take away from from our own guilds, ESOTR, Akatosh, Meridia, Stendar. Um, we have our own separate guilds as well. Uh, each one of them are faction specific. The the um, UESP guild is not is not faction specific. Uh, it is it is a uh, an amalgamation of of all of the different factions that are out there. But they they do have a, a guild out there, and um, you know I I recommend them if you if you really enjoy UESP very much. All right, well, um, that is the history of of the uh, the Aliads, and as you can see, I'm I'm uh, showing you a little bit of what their uh, culture is like right now in modern day uh, Tamriel. Um, however, back to the the gaming side of this, okay. Now that we've covered the history and, and their lore, we've got Mark here that's going to show us from the Sonarist archives uh, what the Aliads have 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 how they've been represented in the series and what they mean to us as we play through the game. Yeah. Well, um, I guess the best way to start this is thank Mike for his wonderful job at his revisionist history of the aliens. Uh, let's get into <laughs> what actually happened with them. Okay. So as with everything else that I touch on, aliens started back in, say it with me, Daggerfall. Daggerfall. Yeah. <laughs> that game. <laughs> yep. And Second game of the series, but really the first game of the series. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's specifically in a, one book called The Wild Elves by Kierjo Chorvac. And it discusses a little bit about the other races, but it specifically has, you know, a couple of other comments on the Wild Elves. But what it specifically says that I find interesting is this. The Aliads continue to be one of the greatest enigmas of the continent of Tamriel. They seldom appear in the pages of written history in any role, and then only as a strange sight a chronicler stumbles upon before they vanish into the woods. When probable fiction is filtered from common legend, we are left with almost nothing. The mysterious ways of the Aliads have remained shrouded since before the First Era, and may well remain so for a thousand years to come. So, this kind of presents a very, very different picture of the Aliads that well, we know. I mean, before we started playing, I took a quick run around the Ring Road, and I found six different ruins that were easily visible from the road itself. For a, you know, for a race that has been so integral to, to Tamrielic history, they really didn't have anything actually to do with the with this setting. They were just sort of, they exist, but no one knows anything about them. So, you can see they really came across as a very different beast. Um, I, I think it's probably that, not, not that people didn't know anything about them, it's that, that their history has probably been lost due to assimilation. And at the same time, though, it really is specific that there is no real understanding of them. They haven't had any effect on history at all. And for a race that, that we now know has really shaped sort of what became Cyrodiil, you know, really sort of shaped what the humans who lived there would be and had a, a, a massive effect as a result on the religion of the place, on the creation of the tower, of the, 
you know, the, the pact between Akatosh and Alicia were caused by them. And in Oblivion, we have tons of books on them. For whatever reason, up until Morrowind, actually, because this book appeared... Strangely enough, this book appears in every single game. But at the same time, we know that when we hit Oblivion, it's no longer accurate. Yeah, and when I read this book, because originally this was one of the first ones that pops up when you type in for Aliens on the Imperial Library. Yeah. And I read it, I decided not to include it in my section... It really comes down to this reminds me of early adaptation or the early writings of Tolkien with The Hobbit that um, the two elf cultures that you meet, you have the one in in Labdris with uh, Elrond leading it and they're pretty high, you know, type of elves. And then the second one is Thranduil's group, which are the wood elves. And when um, the dwarves stumble into their camp, the lights disappear and they magically just disappear from existence only to turn up a few paragraphs later having another party somewhere else it, it really felt like that kind of wild elf that you know they're woodland fairy type of elf um, and I'm like okay you know this really they share the same name but none of the 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 resemblance between the two cultures the one that we know from the later games and the one being described here I mean you know no uh you know, mysterious ways shrouded since the first era. It's like uh, actually we got quite a bit on them, so I was like, oh, this is kind of a strange book. How do we? How do I fit it into the history section? Yeah, I'm very and, glad that you picked it up. <laughs> yeah, well, and and that is the thing because it really does show that how they approach the aliens, um, and frankly, it's it's a good example of how the approach to the setting as a whole changed. I mean, the same book actually has um, a description. Uh, it's the first time that you get a non-Elven descriptor for the different races. Uh, you know, like we know them, the Bosmer, the Altmer, the Dunmer. But instead, it says specifically, while the three aces, uh, sorry, while three races of Elven stock, the Salashi, or High, Boishi, or Wood, and Morishi, or dark have assimilated well into the new Tamriel culture. And yeah, so basically for, you know, back in Daggerfall, myrrh was not a term that was used to refer to the elves. And actually it's funny because when they did, they presented the books in all the other games, or sorry, this specific book in all the other games, in, uh, in Morrowind they presented it exactly as it had been in Daggerfall, but they started using myrrh. And then when they got to uh, Oblivion, they decided, let's edit this. And they only edited the names. <laughs> hmm. So it's, it's one of those odd little books that sort of, it, it just, it's sort of, it's an artifact of what it was, of what the world had been. And I'm not 100% certain how it fits into it now. I mean, because as far as anyone who's heard of the Aliens in Tamriel, there's no way they're going to say they had no effect on history. Yeah, uh, you know, you could you could uh, you could argue that history, as as Tamriel has known it, has always been because of what the aliens have done and the mark they left. Oh, exactly. In I mean, Cyrodiil, they, they, they're such a huge part of the setting of of its prehistory. I mean, even more so than the Dwemer, mm-hmm. because while the Dwemer did a lot to sort of to sort of shape things, and their their mystery seems to be a bit more. We're more. It seems that we're more compelled to find out what happened to the Dwemer than we are with the with the aliens, because the aliens we know sort of 
they were like sort of the Roman Empire. They they eventually just sort of petered out because of infighting and revolts, and eventually they disappeared, but the Dwemer disappeared in one shot. But both races have had, well... Massive impacts. Seemed, yeah, but at the same... With the Dwemer, their impact really didn't hit until... Like, seriously hit until the Third Era with the Numidium, once that was activated for the first time by Tiber Septum. I mean, well, that's what... You could say, though, for the Dwemer... Or the Dunmer, I mean, you know, it was the um, insurrection by the the council there. I mean, you change from the Chimer to the to the Dunmer, that's quite a big change on you know culture and history and everything else going on right there. And actually, you know what? That's you know, actually people. really true. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'm referring to more as affecting the entire, like, the entirety of Tamriel itself. But yeah, right. The the broad sweeping change that that uh, aliens uh, introduced in in their history to to Tamriel when they they came in and then finally left. Yeah. So it's it's one of those uh, one of those examples of how the setting has changed over the years. Um, really, the setting itself from from Arena and Daggerfall. Daggerfall really cha- uh, added a huge amount of depth to the setting, a lot of lore. And then Redguard came out, and that came out with the uh, the first edition guide to the Empire, which really let us see what the setting was now going to be. And that changed some stuff, but it really expanded on what the setting was. But again, it, it changed stuff. For example, the Khajiit. Beforehand, the Khajiit were... Um, legend said that they were descended from, uh, cat, you know, from uh, great desert cats. Once you got to uh, to Redguard and then Morrowind, there's no question they are cat people. You know, there's no suggested that they're descended from. Um, other changes uh, that just happened between the games are like Argonians. Um, for some reason, Daggerfall decided that Argonians are now going to have tails, and their women are not going to have luscious, flowing locks of red hair. <laughs> well, thank God for that. <laughs> And, and here I thought they were ugly the now. <laughs> Daggerfall removed Argonian hair. Worst series ever. But, I mean, like, this is sort of how the setting has changed over the years. I mean, they something might be said in one game, and then they sort of decide they're not really going to do it that way in another. Oh, I, I think the volatility of, of lore in Elder Scrolls is, is pretty much over and done with at this point. I don't know, though. I mean, well... I feel that they do a good job of when there is something that they want to do and they need to change it. I feel that they do a good job of presenting this is probably what's going on. But I feel that they really didn't start to do that until about Skyrim and actually ESO. I felt Oblivion sort of made a a big mistake with like... um, Okay, well... Oblivion, of course, uh, Cyrodiil, of course, had been described in Morrowind and in the uh, the first in uh, the Guide to the Empire as being um, mostly jungle. And then when we get yeah. to Oblivion, it's not mostly jungle. Right, right. And, and in fact, it's it's not it's not a jungle at all. <laughs> at all, it's a, it's a temperate forest. I mean, you can it's a bit of a rainforest down in the the southeast, but it you know it, you could not describe this as a jungle, and we're in oblivion. We are at the seat of of this of this power. There is no explanation. They're uh, really given. Uh, there are no books of history that describe it. I mean, we literally have like 
brief histories of the Empire, and we know that it reigned for two weeks after the death of Tiber Septim, but there's nothing about all of a sudden this this change. Well, what about the what about the validity of of the author? I mean, the it, is the author talking about about Cyrodiil as a jungle? I mean, could the guy possibly have been in, you know, some of some of the uh, some parts of um, western parts of Black Marsh? Uh, well, it's I, I don't think so though, because like the um, in the first guide to the Empire, with it where it's written, it's literally a Cyrodiilic scribe who's writing it. So I mean, they, I understand why they made the change. It, it, I really feel it had to do with the technology. They really wanted to tell a story within Cyrodiil, and the technology at the time wasn't going to do it. But I feel that they sort of they didn't do a great job of explaining why they had made that change. There's really sort of one book in the entire thing that suggests about the change, and it's basically a line in one of the commentaries on the Mythic Dawn. I think so. I think that's what it is. It's it's one of those books that you have to get throughout the the game to do the main quest. Uh, and basically, it says something along the lines of uh, Chim. It has the power to change anything. See the home of the red of the red king once jungled. And basically, what this has been taken to mean is that Tiber Septim, when he took the throne, changed uh, changed everything into or change the entire province into a temperate forest. Uh, and this theory was sort of added to. There's a specific author who was integral to actually creating the bait, the core of the lore of the series back in Redguard and for a certain amount of Morrowind uh, named um, Michael Kirkbride. And he often write, uh, since he left, he left um, Bethesda while, he, while Morrowind was in development. But since then, he still writes little sort of in-lore comments and whatnot. Uh, and he wrote this thing called The Many-Headed Talos. And you can actually hear a big portion of that particular speech in Skyrim. You know Hemscare, the guy that stands in the middle of Whiterun screaming his head off? Yeah. About ta- how wonderful Talos is? I love you! You don't need Talos in your life! <laughs> exactly. When he's standing there and going on about, I'm, you know, see me, I am Talos Stormcrowd, and my law and my breath is winter. Uh, you know, and I change the land, for I love you. When he's going on about that, that's basically a line from The Many-Headed Talos. Uh, which is specifically something that Kirkbride said Talos says to his legions after he has finished conquering all of Tamriel, after the high, after he has taken the Somerset Isles. And it's it's interesting because when he said this, basically people took it to mean that once he did that, Talos Septum or you know Tiber Septum changed all of the jungle into completely. You know, it, tur- it turned into temperate forest. And I've also heard people say that uh, to sort of explain why there's no no justification in lore otherwise. Like there's no books that say it. There's no comments or quests that comment on it. That basically he changed it for all time. Which, in which case, if that's sort of what you're going with, you could also ask, well, why did he then give, you know, change it so the high elf or the wild elves now rule Cyrodiil? Um, hmm. But basically, the reason, the difference between what is actually said in Skyrim and this 
this sort of thing that he posted on uh, a message board was that it misses the line, I know you hate the jungle. Otherwise, he says, you know, I'm changing, I will change the land. You know, I breathe now in royalty. I change the land for I love you. Well, he's conquered the land. He's conquered the, you can take it that as he's conquered all of Tamriel. He is cha- he has ended the integrum. He is now in, ch- in charge and he's going to bring peace and prosperity to the land. He's changing it. So, which, you know, you could go either way. But, you know, we had the game Oblivion, takes place in Cyrodiil. We had Skyrim, which it focuses a lot on Tiber Septim's divinity. And could you imagine, you know, if he had terraformed the entire province, I can't imagine Imperials not listing it and Hemskir not screaming that constantly at the top of his lungs. You know, that this is what his go- what Tiber Septim has, had done. Well... I, I guess. I mean, <clears throat> where's where's you know where's the fault, uh, or or where's the you know where's the mistake here? Is the mistake in in unexplained lore, or is the mistake in in um, that's the explanation of the lore, but they didn't get it across the in 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 an obvious way? Yeah, I think that it's a case of they in Oblivion they weren't really thinking about it a huge amount. Uh, I feel that it's in part the, you know, sort of the community they've taken, you know, because Kirkbride writes a lot of very good stuff, and Bethesda often incorporates some of what he says back into the lore. I mean, take, for example, what Hemskir says, but they don't take all of it. What, well, thank the, the, God, because what is it, the fifth era? Like, they're up on the moon or something in his newest the, Queen, uh, Queen or- yeah, Queen Oren is like an artificial construct from the 42nd era sent back in time. Yeah. It, he, he, he does a lot of weird stuff, which is why they it, sort it, of... It's gotten kind of crazy. And, they, they, <laughs> they really do pick and choose, which is the best way to do it. I mean, the whole thing about the Red King, well, every single person who has ruled in Cyrodiil has used the Red Diamond as sort of the, this is the symbol of my rule. You know, so it, it doesn't sort of narrow it down to, to Talos. And then when ESO came out, people were, of course, were there were people raging about Cyrodiil not being a jungle. But there's two books in that that sort of give two different explanations. One, well, it's a mistake in translation, or the other that the red, ta- the white gold tower just it has an effect on the surrounding land depending on who's sort of controlling it, so, or you know who sort of is se- is seated there. Which I think is a, a actually a really good explanation for it changing back and forth. Yeah, because you've had the the septums there, you know, for a very At long this point time. In time in ESO, the septums haven't ruled, but uh, Ram and Cyrodiil's line has, and the Elysians have for you know almost a whole millennia now. Yeah, and it's quite possible that during the Integrum, which we know it lasts like another three to five hundred years from ESO. It could easily be said that it slow it, it goes back into being a jungle by the time the first guide to the empire is written, and then over the next four hundred years between or between the start of the third era and oblivion, it's by that time slowly changed back into being a, a temperate landscape. So how how does this all tie back to the aliens, though? Again, I uh, most part at the moment is just to sort of discuss. Why things have changed, you know, how 
the lore changes so much in the series. How they seem to, for a series that is really based on the lore, they're willing to make changes when they feel this is going to help. This is going to make the the world a richer place. I mean, because with the aliens, you couldn't, you said it at the beginning, you couldn't imagine Cyrodiil without the alien ruins, without these wonderful magical dungeons that you, you explore and this lost civilization that you have to wonder about. Because before, the presentation was basically, well, they're more reclusive wood elves. And, and to tell you the truth, I would have really loved to have like the entire thought split into two. Like, have what we now consider the Aliens with the ruins and stuff, had them been something like the Elmer or something, where they're a ruling, very powerful elven type of clan, and have the Aliens, as they were listed in that book, be more like a magical creature, like uh, a fairy type of thing, and have them be available to, like, I don't know, almost have, like... Um, Dramora type powers where, you know, they can go to a different plane, like a little pocket plane where, you know, there's feasting and, you know, starlight and stuff like that to have like this really cool little like side adventures when you encounter them. Then, you know, they're mischievous, but they're not evil type creatures that, you know, you get a glimpse of and, you know, maybe they disappear kind of like, you know, with some of the, um, uh, what do you call it? The, the Easter eggs in Skyrim, like the, the headless horseman. Yeah, where uh, they're just like little Easter egg type of vignettes that happen in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and and that's sort of the thing is it. The series is, keeps changing. I mean, in Daggerfall, they specifically said there's no such thing as um, there's Sinterklaas. no such thing as, <laughs> as Claus. <laughs> but also there are no Imperials. Well, then Redguard comes along and they decided well. No, let's let's expand that. Let's add these two different peoples into Cyrodiil and and call them. You know, they they now form a single culture called the Imperials. And these changes, they keep getting. I feel that they they do make this uh, the setting better. Again, they they sometimes they don't explain why they're making the change. Sometimes it's just a whoop. All of a sudden, they're they're Imperials. All of a sudden, the Iliads were this vast empire that were just integral to the entire continent. And other times they do a fairly good job of, of explaining these cha- uh, these changes, like when they decided to repurpose what what the blades were to the Emperor, when they suddenly went from, oh, they were just there to, bo- to be their bodyguards, to they were these people that had been hunt- you know, looking for Tiber Septim to follow him. So, or no, sorry, it was Raymond Cyrodiil at the time. But they were looking specifically for this leader. So, it, it, I just find it interesting that we we have such a lore-driven series that when they change it, it seems that you know they they don't feel completely bound to to the lore as it was written. But the changes they make. They they usually eventually at least such as with ESO they seem to try to pull it back together like to sort of they they'll try to make it sort of fit together but at least I'm sorry I'm babbling a bit yeah they'll 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 mash yeah. it up a little bit but yeah getting yeah. getting back to to the aliens in in the um, in in Elder Scrolls and uh, in in the series itself and in, in in our gameplay. Where um, is that a button on the wall, Barwin? Yeah, I was. I, I hit it though. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, pretty sure I hit it anyway. Um, yeah, getting back to that. So, Mark, what, I mean, what else do you have um, as far as you know the your your section here in the Sonarist Archives um, on that that well, idea? That's pretty much. So, like that's pretty much what I wanted to say was to talk about just how the lore changed because literally the only changes in their presentation have have basically been they were once these mysterious things that you didn't see to all of a sudden this huge mysterious empire that you have these massive ruins yeah and really that that's just sort of I found <laughs> was it, it's a good jumping point to talk about how the lore does change. Without a doubt, yeah. I, I haven't... I, I've played, you know, all the games, uh, with the exception of the, you know, kind of like the wonky Elder Scrolls Travels games, which, by the way, I was I was actually playing one of those last night, um, Shadow Key, and uh, I've kind of gotten back to playing Shadow Key a bit. <laughs> I never tried those. How are they? Uh, they're, uh, they're, you know, they're... they're, they're they're video games on a on a ten year old cell phone. I mean, how good can they possibly be? <laughs> so what you're saying is they're cutting edge? Uh, not at all. No. <laughs> Just wait until they're updated. Yeah, exactly. I'm still waiting for my DLC for Shadow King. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what I what I can say is that um, I've never. I've never seen a lore topic in in uh, Elder Scrolls that didn't change the game for for the better. Um, oh yeah, most definitely. Exactly. Yeah, and so I, I completely agree with with the the changes that uh, that they've that they've made and whatever excuses they can come up for it. Um, fine, I'll go along with. Um, but as far as as far as gameplay goes, okay, the aliens, uh, we could take this in a couple of different directions. My question to you guys is, what what have the aliens meant to you when you're when you're playing the game? And we'll we'll do this for a couple of seconds, and then we'll go into our fast question of the week. So, um, I guess starting with with uh, with Mike, when you're when you're playing the game, and 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 these these folks they only appear in in two Elder Scrolls games, believe it yeah. or not, they're only in Oblivion and uh, and Elder Scrolls Online. That is it. They're mentioned in Skyrim. Well, they're mentioned what in in uh, Daggerfall as as well, and and mentioned in in Morrowind too. I don't even think they're mentioned in Morrowind. I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, Other than in the books. Yeah, the only the only book that mentions them in Morrowind is literally the same one from Daggerfall. Yeah. Yeah. It's only the Wild Elves. So so there you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, so for for uh, a culture that really only has had. Uh, a few appearances they certainly do have quite quite the influence so so mike what what exactly have the aliens in gameplay meant meant to you and i think this is really great because it gives you a cultural field that gives you a distinct barrier in the um the world okay what do i mean by this well you're in oblivion right now which is the providence of cyrodiil and you have Elliot ruins if you play ESO and you do um, parts of Valenwood, uh, you get some Elliot ruins there and Elliot influences. Beyond that, though, you're not going to get them anywhere else uh, in the world. Uh, when you go up into Skyrim and more, when you get the uh, the Dwemer, 
And so it gives you like this, this sense of ancient kingdoms that ruled specific areas, that they weren't some massive empire, that Tamriel, the continent, wasn't you know easily conquerable by even these very powerful, very sophisticated um, cultures. And so it gives you a, a unique feel for each of the different regions when you have these kind of things. What I, you know, had feared was going to happen, and it didn't happen, luckily, was that, you know, you would start with ESO just dumping, you know, cross-culturally. Like, oh, we're going to have an Iliad ruin and a Dwemer ruin, and it's going to be, in, uh, you know, in Aradon. It's like, uh, no, thank God they didn't do that. Now... Yeah, I was I was sort of afraid of the the same thing myself. Um, okay, Mark, gameplay wise, what are the what are the aliens meant meant for you? Well, I mean, again, it really does sort of set uh, it does set Cyrodiil apart from the games that had come before it, and then it also sets it apart from Skyrim. It it really gave it a very unique feel and gave us these wonderful ancient ruins, you know, fog shrouded ruins to go. Uh, explore and and go around in. And again, yeah, in ESO, as Mike had been saying, I, I completely agree. It gave you this this feeling of these ancient empires that, you know, what we have seen with, you know, the the third empire where we spent, frankly, most of our games, that's not the first time something has spread across Tamriel. That was just the first time something was able to get all of Tamriel. Yep. So, you know, so it... It really does help establish a, a very specific, a very good feel for the setting, a very unique, uh, yeah, just a very unique view of what its history has been. When I when I jump inside of an Aeliad ruin, um, I'm I, I am excited. Um, tons of tons of adventure and uh, exploration are in front of me. I know it's not going to be just another five, ten minutes of, of you know, endless rolling hills and beautiful scenery with the occasional wolf uh, or, or bear or god minotaur. <laughs> 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 um, I know it's not going to be just that. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have traps. It's going gonna, it's gonna to have uh, locked doors that I'll need to uh, pick in order to get through um, with varying degree of success, apparently. <laughs> and can I just say, I really love the aspect of Oblivion that you're playing here with the spell sword. That, you know, you've got your torch and your weapon, and you can still cast spells with the torch and the weapon in your hand. Isn't it amazing? You know, because that's one thing that is so frustrating about Skyrim, that, you know, you'll be sitting there, you've, you're exploring a uh, ruin, it's dark, you pull out the torch, well, now you have to, you know, pause the game, you know... Click on your button for your favorites to swap the torch out to a spell that you want to use. You know, it's just like, oh, it's so nice having that torch, you know. Oh, yeah. Game. Especially, I don't know about you, but I use a mod that makes the dungeons darker. Because who the hell goes around and lights torches on the walls in a dungeon that's supposed to have been empty for years? <laughs> oh, yeah. I also I also d dislike the fact that there's only a few, a few uh, dungeons in the beginning of Skyrim that have torches you can take off of the wall and then everything else after that it seems like you can't touch the torches at all the torches that you can take are usually involved in thieves quests where it allows you to reduce the amount of light in the dungeon or wherever you're traveling so you can sneak better i'll have to keep that in mind then yeah. all right um 
so 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 that's what the Aeliad ruins and have have meant for me. It's just this is this is going to be some really interesting, fun, fantastic gameplay that's going to be really challenging, and and it's going to be a break for the norm. If I want it to be there, that's what I love about the Aeliad ruins in Cyrodiil. Is you're 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 running around and look. Oh, an Aeliad ruin. It's very nice. It's 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 aesthetically pleasing, and it offers a chance to get into some kind of um, adventuresome gameplay that I may or may not be in the mood for. If I don't want it to be there, I walk away. If I want it to be there, I dive in. Yeah, they they don't feel as intrusive as the Oblivion Gates do. Right. <laughs> you know. I just want to say I finally successfully picked that lock. <laughs> I just want to say that. How many picks was it later? <laughs> like five. <laughs> <laughs> for this door. All right, guys. Fast question of the week. Ready for it? Here we go. Yep. Should the aliens ever be a playable race? Mike. No. Mark. No. I say yes. Okay. So why yes? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I say yes because... Elder Scrolls can games can take place in a timeline ahead of time and they usually do. We can also go back in time. I I would love for there to be a um, an Elder Scrolls game where we go back in time to the Marithic era and and have a different version of Cyrodiil and and Tamriel that that we already know. But you can see is different because you know time hasn't touched it in the way that we've come to know it. And I would I would love for for there to be um, that as a, as a point of exploration, and and I would love to explore that world as as an alien and uh, go from go from there and, and and see what the the story has has to offer. So under that guise. I would I would like to see aliens as as a playable race. Um, other than that, though, I would agree with you guys. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't want them to you know make a a weird appearance, make yeah. a sudden comeback. Yeah, right, right, right. Like you know they've they've been gone forever and now and now here they are. With the exception of if they could find a way to say like here's a here's an alien cult. Um, or a group of of uh, aliens untouched by untouched by uh, the the evolution of civilization here in Tamriel, and and for some reason, like these guys play a, a huge role in the storyline of the game, then I wouldn't necessarily mind it so much. Yeah, I mean, well, you could always say there's there's a group of them up in the woods somewhere in let's say High Rock. Or hiding up in the Rothgari Mountains, or no, the Dragon Tail Mountains. I mean, you could probably find a way to explain that there's a small, a small group of them. I don't know if there'd really be enough to sort of make them a player race. And again, like it, it would be interesting to see how. Like, can you imagine how Cyrodiil would, would react if they found out? Oh, the aliens are back. Yeah. You know, I mean, I can't imagine that would be well received, even what three thousand years later, hmm. two thousand, two thousand, three thousand years after their disappearance. 
No, uh, it, it absolutely would not be yeah. well received. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and that's the thing is that I can't. It wouldn't. Ha- it wouldn't be a, a large group, and I I can't imagine trying to get around in in Cyrodiil or any of the other provinces without people realizing. Okay, wait a second. You're something's wrong with you. You're not. You know, you you don't you don't seem to be a, uh, a normal elf. Yeah. Because otherwise, if if they just look like all the other elves, well, what's the point? Know, yeah, basically. What about um, all right now? Now, now, Mark, is that is that the reason why you don't want to see them as a yeah, playable I, race? Okay. I, I kind of feel it would be difficult to fit them back in. I mean, with the Dwemer, if you were absolutely had to, there's no there's no way you can get out of it. If you had to put them back, you can easily get back a massive population just when they. They all reappear. You can easily get back a big enough population that you could excuse that they're all over the place now, and people have had had time to gotten to to get used to them again. If you're going to play an Iliad, though, even if people have realized the Iliads are back for a while, it's going to you being an Iliad in wherever is still going to be an unbelievably unique thing, and it's going to be. A, kind of game-breaking to, uh, to try to understand, well, why are the people of Black Marsh not more surprised that I'm an alien? Why aren't they more interested in it? Why are they treating me as though I'm just like an orc or a, or a high elf or something that's, well, that's come into the area? I mean, in a single-player Elder Scrolls game, you can get away with that, though. I mean, in, in yeah, ESO, you can't. I, I, but I guess I, if I'm playing a, spe- a race that special, that that's just reappeared, I, I kind of would want the, the NPCs to have a reaction to that, and they, they a should huge reaction like, too. Exactly, like it would have to be something substantial, unless you've said that they reappeared 400 years ago when they've been completely, you know, they've they've been completely re reabsorbed into society, and they've they're you know they're now just commonplace or fairly commonplace. And I don't know that even feels a little cheaty. Yeah, what about you, Mike? Yeah, I really don't want to have like, it, it, like even going backwards in time. Like I've seen some inconsistencies with ESO, where it's like, okay, you've got something that we know of in the future that they're bringing into the game, and it just doesn't fit very well. So you know, my fear if they did an Elder Scrolls where they went backwards to the Merithic is to make sure, like you know, that there's no out of character like knowledge. That could be like derived in character, type of thing. Um, you know, to, you know, the, it's like okay, yeah, I'd love to see a time where you know the Chimmer were there, and the Snow Elves were there, and the Dwemer were there, and the Aliens were there as playable races. But I, I just fear that you know, there's so much lore, so much built already into the game that uh, you know that they they rely upon. That it would make for you know making sure that they don't accidentally slip something in, that would be um, you know timeline breaking, would be very hard. So yeah, I think that's one of the reasons they keep moving forward in time, and they keep building off of stuff. So I really don't want to see like you know, the Elliots or the you know, um, or the the Falmer or Snow Elves return like as a massive, you know, you can play them as a character thing. Now having them in the game. You know, is not as big a deal. Like if you come across a lost tribe, like you do in um, the one part of ESO, I can't remember what they're called now. But they, you know, they survived the the Cuthringi plague. Yeah, they are. Uh, no, uh, it was the Thalassian 
plague or the something Pelasian like that, plague. and they are they're called the Cthulhu. Yes, so that small little tribe, you know, that's fine. Yeah, and like maybe you work in something where, you know, if you have, let's say your the next game is built in, you know, um, Valenwood or uh, up in High Rock, where your player, if you choose one of the elfin races, uh, can find out that maybe their parentage was a Eliad. And, you know, they go back and they, you know, do like a little side quest type of thing, finding it out. Or maybe, you know, some ruling family member, you know, has asked you to go and find the grave of this person. You do this whole side quest to find out that, you know, the Eliot, you know, who the Eliots were and that genetically, you know, this person is still considered at least 50 or 60 percent Eliot in nature. That kind of thing, I think, would be okay. But to bring them back in enough population for it to be a player race... Yeah, it would be very difficult, I think. Uh, Bored Nord in the chat said, I must be the only one who didn't care to see actual aliens in TSO. Uh, T- sorry, TESO. I love that they were such an enigma. Their appearance and seeing parts of their lives kind of demystified them in a uh, uh, This demystified them a bit in a way I didn't like. Yeah, now, now I that's, would agree. Yeah, now that's, uh, that's an interesting, um, an interesting you know, thing to call out on because, you know, as aliens being a playable race, what are you? What would you rather have? Would you rather have your your uh, to to be able to play the aliens and lift the veil off of them a little bit, or would you would you rather have them remain this this mystical, um, mystery mysterious filled par- portion of of Tamriel where we get glimpses of like the Dunmer, but not never too close enough to to sort of figure out what exactly is going on there. Well, here's actually a question for you. Why are why are you okay with the idea of the aliens coming back, but not the Dwemer? Uh because the the Dwemer the Dwemer serve as a a, a race of of, of uh, people that that never that was never really known by anybody in in Tamriel. The aliens were not that way. The aliens were just like every other race in Tamriel right now, where they they're there, they 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 exist, and other races had had uh, relationships with them, long standing history with them. Um, they're only a mystery now because because uh, their history has has largely been been forgotten and relegated to to myth. So uncovering that is not necessarily something that that people are going to say. Um, oh, that's interesting. I never knew that. It's it's really going to be more along the lines of, oh, that's interesting. History forgot that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The the Dwemer, they're they're not like that. They're completely different. Their 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 portion of history in the world is completely unknown. Even at the time when they were around, the only people that really had any kind of relationship with them were the people that they warred with. <laughs> yeah. They had wars yeah. with. Ancient Nords, the Falmer, and the uh, the Chimer. Right. And ha- how well do you know your enemy? Uh, you, yeah. you know them as aggressors, but do you really know what they what they do, who they are, what they like? No, you don't care. You just want to kill them because they're killing you. And you know their tactics. That's all. Now, you know, to you know, to look at this aspect, you know, there's so many other things that I would love to see in the next Elder Scrolls game. If we're talking about races, I mean, when you look at 
the Khajiit and the Argonians themselves, we really only come across one type of each. Uh, and we know that there's so many different Argonians out there, uh, you know, from the ones that have a more snake-like um, body shape, uh, with the Khajiit, the ones that look like elves, to the full battle cats, to the common household cat um, that they've talked about. If we want to add another myrrh, then we're talking about the Maumur and uh, the ocean elves there. So, I mean, there's so many other races or sub-races that they could add that would allow you to have a, a much more interesting gameplay than to just, you know, bring back a lost race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have, I have to agree with Mike on that. Yeah, I... I Plus, I mean, we have the entire continent too. of uh, Akavir, which, you know, if we're, you know, set in some type of strange civil war between the Thalmor and the Imperial, uh, and then all of a sudden you have a, uni- a unifying invasion, you know, do you play from the side of Tamriel or do you play from the side of Akavir? I mean, how many more races would that open up? Mm-hmm, I mean, sure. All of a sudden you can go from 10 playable races now to like 20 or 30 uh, that'd be pretty crazy, actually. <laughs> well, um, all right, great, great thoughts, guys. But uh, we're not the only ones, obviously, with with uh, some pretty awesome and interesting thoughts. Uh, our listeners do as well, and uh, they they weigh in on their on their tweets and emails to us. Um, Mark, would you mind uh, picking up the uh, the tweets for us, please, from this week? Sure. Uh- well, Lindsay McClinchy, she uh, she said that uh, CES episode on the Dwemer was my fave so far. I'd love to hear one of, on the Altmer race series, perhaps. And I think that we can, that's something we could definitely do. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Now, for those that don't know, uh, Lindsay is our guild leader of Meridia. Shoot your eye out. So, uh, yeah, just to pick up as to who she is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh a Skyrim addict, which is a wonderful thing to be addicted to, uh, said just got just got caught up on classic uh, classic ES, and that Dwemer episode was fantastic. Uh, Skyrim addict is a podcast for, by Metal Shark Studios, where they talk about their adventures and misadventures in Skyrim. And uh, in response to a post that we made, uh, where we said we'd discuss a bit about the faith of the lost races of Tamriel, specifically the Aliens. Uh, Remexis Wit asked us, uh, "Do you think their uh, Do you think their their disappearance has anything to do with d- the Dwemer or the gods?" Now, uh, I, I did do a bit of a response to him on that one, um, and I pointed at, and I sort of explained that I think it had more to do with the the slave revolt, the the infighting that they had amongst themselves, and just as a result, they lost their power and just were sort of driven eventually to extinction. You know, as opposed to sort of the gods deciding that they'd had enough enough of them. Like, well, we, we I think we established we're not quite sure what the Dwemer, what happened with the Dwemer and the God and the Aedra or the Daedra or anything. Yeah, I mean, it yeah. sort of seems like the 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 Aeliad, the disappearance of the Aeliads happened um, through several phases through the course of many many years of history. You know, uh, their their incline be sparked uh, their their rise in the civilization probably sparked some some um, greediness, which resulted in infighting. Uh, their their um, practice of of slavery 
eventually caught up with them. It all came to a head in one particular point in history where the, the slave revolt and the Civil War infighting going on with the aliens all mashed together to, to remove them from the seat of power in Cyrodiil, which they had occupied for a very long time. After that, it was really just kind of all she wrote. It was it was a story about um, turning, uh, bec becoming assimilated to your <laughs> your your surroundings. Uh, you yep. lost an empire, and now you got to live in a world where where you no longer have control. So what do you do? You just sort of go to your, go to your neighbors and and ask them for help and beg them for help because you need to survive. And well, they, it's yeah. kind of like the American story. I mean, you know. Many people have come over from Europe and Asia and Africa into, you know, America, and you know, we've been assimilated. I mean, you know, you've got somebody like myself who, you know, I know my grandparents and great grandparents came from Italy. You know, I'm a what third, fourth generation Italian American. You know, but like my wife's family, many of them had come over. You know, like early on. Um, you know, and we're here pre-revolutionary war. Yeah, and uh, they had assimilated in with you know the native people. You know they had bred in with uh, the Germanic people that had come over to fight uh, during the uh, Revolutionary War. You know she has some French people that had come over uh, much later. So it's like you know eventually you know the if the culture if the home culture has been destroyed, you know a new you've adopted into the new home culture and you've become assimilated. Mm -hmm. And the same can be said with the Elliots. Their home area was pretty much destroyed, you know, but does that mean that the Bosmers are pure Bosmer, you know, or they an amalgamation of different elven stocks that uh, we have now, with the Bosmer being the most dominant one? Right. Um, okay. We've got an email as well. And, and um, it's an older email. I believe we actually received this... Um, at some point in September, I think is when we received this email. Now we we never featured it uh, because it, it for classic Elder Scrolls it, it never really fit the bill until until this episode. Uh, so so Mike, would you mind uh, reading this email here from the Dirty Pony? All right, hey guys of ESOTR and ES Classic. While playing ESO the other night and doing a quest that involved a certain divinity's temple and freeing the last Iliad king, I started to reflect on the topic of what type of god I was drawn to in the Elder Scrolls series. For me personally, I have to say Meridia. For the moment, she lifted me up to her light-filled presence in Skyrim and tasked me not only to cleanse her temple from darkness, but also darkness from the world itself. I felt a connection that she was my protector, and I was her servant, tasked with using her Dawnbreaker to reclaim her light throughout the world. Hosts and chat room, who is the divinity that you feel most closely related to and why? Just give, just to give you a shout out, I have been with you since episode one, and I'm loving the new format. The information that I learned on episode 121 from the new host was invaluable to me and the new host for Classic Elder Scrolls Night present, presented the history of Chadenhall in a clear and concise format. As a quest gamer since Adventures on the Atari 2600, I love the experience that the new hosts bring to these podcasts. Keep up the amazing works. See you in the realm. The Dirty Pony 333. 
All right, so it's it's a question of um, of divinity. What's who's your who's your favorite divine out there? And uh, with respect to to the Aliads, um, what what do we have to say on this? Uh, starting with with Mark. Well, um, this is actually, you know it's funny because this is actually uh, this wasn't something that we were, from an email we were reading, but it was just something we decided to t- touch upon in the first episode I was on was a bit on what divinities we liked. Um, as I had said back then, I kind of liked uh, her scene for just nostalgic reasons. Uh, as for the divines, personally, I like Stendar uh, the most. Just because, you know, strong justice for all that type of thing. Uh, when it comes to the aliens, it is interesting to think that they followed these divines. Like, as a culture in general, they, they, tried, to, they tried to give worship to both the Aedra and the Daedra. And I guess it was eventually those that sort of, the, the split that, um, the, there were those that, you know, focused more on the Aedra and more on the Daedra, and then they started fighting. But it is interesting to think that a culture that did worship both. I mean, how do you tie um, the worship of someone like Stendar, who is about justice, with the you know with the idea of say Molag Bal? How do you or Boethia? How do you tie in someone like Zenithar, who's about you know hard work and toil, with someone like Sanguine, which is all about hedonism? You work hard at drinking. <laughs> so, so become a Nord. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Exactly. So, I, I, it's just sort of, it's inter, You know, it sort of makes you think about the dichotomy, I guess, between the two. Yeah. How how exactly did that that society work when there's there's a, a lot of. Um, Duality to it, I, I guess. Wow, that is a <laughs> lot of freaking Varla stones. Uh, what about <laughs> what about you, Mike? So it really comes down to you know, like with the Elliot uh, King that you get to see um, in ESO. You know, I, I found him to be not so much lore breaking because he was kind of like you know suspended animation type of thing. Um, yeah, and it was good to see. And it was good to get that experience from him. Um, as far as the divinity, you know, it really comes down to what you classify as a divinity in the, the Elder Scrolls games. I mean, you know, most people think of the gods as the Aedra, you know, Mara, uh, Akatosh, things of that nature, the Daedra, you know, being separated from them. And then the, you know, the Padme and, uh, Anu forces there. So, you know, do you consider them divinities? I mean, you know, if you hail Sithis, you know, is he a divinity or is the fact that, you know, he's something more? And so it's very difficult when you ask those kind of questions of like, who do you follow? Because, you know, you can follow a whole bunch of them all at once type of thing and not be wrong. Um, in terms of who my character normally follows, uh, for good aspects, it's usually Mara. And, uh, you know, then beyond that, it is, you know, if I'm playing my normal uh, evil characters, you know, all uh, souls go to Sithis in the Void. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm I'm uh, Meridia. 
all the way. And uh, playing ESO, I was I was very excited about about some aspects of that game toward the end, um, regarding regarding Meridia. So that oh, that that was that was fantastic stuff there. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm I'm I am a a paladin of Meridia, as I as like to like to call myself in in Elder Scrolls games. All right, guys. Well, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful job. You guys did a fantastic job presenting this information, and and hopefully the listeners uh, agree as well. I'm I'm very excited to hear all of the the positive reinforcement we received from uh, the the uh, Dwemer episode that we had. And uh, I thought that was that was probably one of our best as well. So hopefully we uh, we have the same sort of um, reinforcement, I suppose, for for this episode, which I think you guys did far above and beyond last episode as well. So uh, great job and, and congratulations because you did a wonderful job here. Thank you. Thank you. I really like you know tying it into what we're playing at the same time too. So you know we're in Oblivion, we're playing. We're running through Elliot Ruins. Now we're talking about the Elliots. Last time it was we were running through the Dwar- the Dwemer Ruins in Skyrim. Yeah, so when we do get to play- to do uh, the Dunmer, we'll definitely have to play Morrowind that time. No, oh, without question. Oh, that's going to be an interesting show. <laughs> <laughs> Between uh, my inability to play that game, which is, is I shouldn't say inability. Uh, I was playing it last night and having quite 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 uh, quite a ball with it. Um, I finished up my uh, f- Fighters Guild quests for. Uh, it starts with a B, I think. Balforia? Uh, no, no, it? no, no. It, it's it's one of the first towns you go to. Um, the old hermit that you have to talk to for your main quest. Yeah. The town he lives in. Yeah, um, it's been not three weeks since I've played it, so I can't remember now. It's not Pelagiate, it's not Suran. Uh, I have a map right here. Hey, <laughs> look at that! <laughs> the Sonarist himself! Balmora. Balmora! Thank you, thank you. At least I was right with the B. I've got all my old ESO stuff right, all my old Elder Scrolls stuff right here on the desk next to me. So it's like, <laughs> oh, well, the map's not even in the box, so I'll just take that out. Yeah, I was very excited to um, to finally finish up that uh, the the quest requirements for the Fighters Guild in Balmora. And um, so I, I did that yesterday, and so I can play the game. It's just, uh, it, it tends to crash a lot. and uh, But no worries, we'll we'll f- we'll get through it. Of course, we'll figure that out. Yeah. when the time comes. Exactly. Anyway, um, final thoughts, guys. Starting with uh, starting with Mike. So I want to give a, a shout out to Javahu and Josh Orange and their team for setting up the new ESOTR Akatosh.guildlaunch.com site for our AD Guild and ESO. It looks amazing. It's got a calendar system uh, so that all of our guildies can uh, figure out and plan things together. Uh, yeah, so if you play ESO and you're part of the Akatosh Guild, make sure you check that out. Uh, there is a link on the Guild front page. If you're in ESO, just go to the Guild page uh, on Akatosh, and it gives you how to get in there. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's really cool. So thank you to them. And uh, Mark? Well, 
uh, really enjoyed going to the Alien Ruins. Uh, I want to give a bit of a shout-out to the the community. Um, my wife and I, we recently lost uh, one of our pets, and I mentioned it on Twitter, and I've gotten a lot of uh, supportive feedback from, uh, you know, supportive comments from a lot of people. So I just want to thank everyone for it, and, you know, greatly appreciate it. Yeah, and again, I'm sorry for your, for your loss, Mark. Yeah, thanks. Well, um, like I said, you guys did a fantastic job. This was a fantastic episode. Uh, thank you to to the chat room for for being here. Hopefully, you uh, enjoyed the the show and the information uh, presented and and the gameplay as well. Uh, thank you to our our podcast listeners. Hopefully, we've uh, managed to entertain you as well. And uh, to our YouTube watchers, thanks so much for for watching and subscribing. Um, podcast listeners, please. Uh, Subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Uh, if you subscribe to us on iTunes, please leave us a um, a, a review. It, it goes a long way to to um, in, in uh, furthering the the uh, the show. <laughs> uh, if you uh, review from another country, send us a note. You know. Via our Twitter or email, letting us know that it's there so that uh, we can go look for it. Because you know we're U.S.-based populace here in Canada, you know, and uh, iTunes, you know, doesn't feed it always. You know, from all of what a hundred different countries that you can review from. So you know, if you do send us a review, you know, let us know, and, uh, so we can go look it up. Yeah, exactly. Um, it goes a long way to furthering the success of the show. Um, all right, guys. Well, speaking of which, you can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and QuestGamingNetwork.com, as well as YouTube, YouTube.com slash QuestGamingNetwork. Uh, you can follow us at Elder Scrolls OTR on Twitter, and at uh, Mike, you can follow at KDR Mickey. That's K-D-R-M-I-C-K-E-Y. Uh, Mark, you can follow him at Carnegie Wolf. That's C-A-R-N-A-G-A-N-W-O-L-F-E. And you can follow me at Avarwin. That's E-V-A-R-W-Y-N. And you can follow us uh, on Facebook as well at facebook.com slash Network. Time to say goodbye, gentlemen. We'll start with Mike. Have a good one, everybody, and hope to see you guys in ESO. And uh, let us know if you know there's a topic you want covered here uh, on Classic. So make sure to check in tomorrow night when... Uh, uh, ESOTR uh, broadcasts. Have a good one. And Mark? Well, everyone enjoy the day and, you know, hope the next uh, couple of weeks and the holidays go well for everyone. Um, and, you know, hopefully by the new year I will have DOSBox working completely and be able to uh, start streaming some Redguard. Oh, yeah. Actually, I want to, um, if you have that running, Mark, I need to get with you. I want to, uh, I want to buy a copy of that. Uh, I think there's still copies on Amazon and eBay. I want to grab a copy of that, and if you can show me how to how to set my DOS box up to have that run, I would I would love to maybe get that on Classic as well. Oh, no problem. Yeah, I think I'll, you have to learn Fortran and get a punch card. It's actually <laughs> it's actually much easier than I thought it would be, but I'm I'm sort of trying to work out to get the graphics at better than say 640 by 400. And also, I need to get the the sound, the voices all work perfectly. The gameplay is working as well as Redguard's gameplay actually works. But the problem is the music is skipping every second and a half, 
which can get pretty annoying very quickly. Yeah. Unless I'm actually on a menu of any kind. Any other menu, it's perfect. But if it's actual, you're trying to play, every half, second and a half, it skips. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. So I, I want to get that at least fixed before I start streaming anything. Okay. But, yeah. Great. Um, all right, guys. Well, take care, everyone. Be safe. And as always, may the force be with you.